Hello and welcome to Season 2 of the Soft Coaching Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Scott. And I'm your other host, Mark. In each episode, Mark and I will discuss the key topics that impact on football coaching in the foundation and new development phases. We will share our thoughts, ideas and experiences and whenever possible include guests so we can get their insights and opinions too. Thanks for listening and we hope you enjoy this episode. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 45 of the Soft Coaching Podcast. I'm delighted to say after 44 previous episodes where we've had some cracking guests on, pretty much all from like an educational coaching background, we've covered some, some key topics we feel, we finally got someone on that's actually walked the walk and, and talked the talk and actually played at, a, at the highest level really. So Luke, welcome to the, the episode. Thanks for having me Scott, looking forward uh, to it. Oh no, uh, thanks for agreeing to do it. For our podcast, what we try and do is we're very much about the coaching side and youth football. So just trying to talk about some of the topics and challenges are out there in the world of, of kids soccer, just to hopefully give coaches an idea about how they might want to approach things and, th- and give their players the best ex- possible experience. You know, that's what we're trying to do here. Um, so it's great maybe to have a, maybe unpick a bit about your journey and what you went through and also what you're doing now and maybe how things may or may not have changed and kind of just get your thoughts and feedback really about the whole kind of landscape around youth football, if that's right. Yeah, that's absolutely fine. Far away. Mm-hmm. Good man. Well, let's start first then. Lockdown. How, how's it been for you? How are you getting on? I've seen on a few things out there. Uh, you're keeping busy, but how have you found it all and what you've been up to? Yeah, it's been interesting. I live in a like a real small village just to the south of Cambridge where not a lot happens and you don't really realise the whole enormity of the situation. Like We've not been affected touch wood too much around here by the pandemic. It's just obviously a you see it all on the news, this awful stuff that's going on. But in my case, it's been an opportunity to reflect, spend time with my children. I've got one who's 17 and one who's 14. So usually I wouldn't get to spend that much time with them. So, and obviously, that's, that's a good thing or a bad thing. <laughs> well, that's what I'm coming to. It started off really good, but I think we're starting to really grate on each other now and looking forward to getting back to normal. But it's been a, a good, a positive time despite all, obviously, the, the tragedy that's been going on all over the world you've got to make the best of the situation haven't you and the opportunity to reflect sometimes and take some time out is not a bad thing is it um, especially with the family yeah definitely I think reflection's a great thing we can all get wrapped up in our own affairs a lot of the time can't we and this has given us a fantastic opportunity just to take a step back and realize what is truly important to you and that's your family your friends and spending time with each other so in that respect it has been a real a real good few months, but time to get back to work, <laughs> hopefully yeah. soon. Hopefully soon. And where you are then, out in Cambridge, you, it's quite rural, you can get out and about a bit, and there's lots of places to go for walks and get some fresh air and stuff. Is it? Is it like that out there? Yeah, it's, like, it's a beautiful place to, to live, really, in terms of the countryside, walks, tracks, that sort of thing. So it is, I can't ask for much more yeah. to get locked down in a, in a small village like this, it's where yeah. it's been easy for us really in like town cities it must be incredibly hard but we are lucky where we are out here in the in the middle of nowhere really it makes a difference doesn't it yeah i've got two young boys luke i mean i've got an 11 and a seven year old and to be fair they've been fine you know and the other one the old one's back at school now because he's year six but teenagers must i mean i can't imagine being 16 17 years old during this time and behaving myself enough to to follow the social distancing rules have your boys been all right are they are they are they behave themselves they've, enough they've been all right they've been good to be fair my yeah. eldest he's um he's a scholar at cambridge united so he's been keeping going with his training so 
we've yeah. been doing a bit together in the gym, so I think he's stronger than me now, which don't really do <laughs> much. And the youngest, as he's been doing his schoolwork, he's, well, he tells me he's doing it, he's certainly um, being an absolute expert at FIFA and Call of Duty when he goes back. <laughs> I'm pretty sure of that. Brilliant. Do you know what? That's, that's not time badly spent either, to be fair. You know, you've got to have a bit of a time just to get to yourself and do your own thing, right? Yeah, My boys yeah. are all on Fortnite. They're Fortnite wizards. We, we have a deal. Like, whatever you spend on Fortnite, you've got to spend twice as much time doing exercise. So it seems to work out all right. Yeah, that's a good Brilliant. way of doing it. <laughs> well, look, if you don't mind, just a bit of reflection on, on your own football story, if you don't mind, Luke. Just think back. You know, first of all, kind of, obviously, you got to the top level. But how did it all start for you? Um, I think it would have been just playing in the garden. I grew up in this area where I live now, a real small village where we had sort of a small house, but a lot of land at the end of it. So it was like a council house with a big garden. So I was fortunate enough that I spent most of my time out in the garden, kicking a ball about probably my earliest memories would have been a five, six year old, just playing in the back garden with my, with my dad and my brother. And then I think the big thing for me that really switched to where I thought this is something that I want to do is going to my first, live football game I went my dad took me to watch Cambridge United and it it just blew my mind really being in a football stadium being so close to the players experiencing that atmosphere and I remember coming out of there thinking I was that's like heaven that was I've never felt like that before so I think that was the re, the real first one where I thought that's what hooked. I wanted to do yeah you were hooked straight away so and so you played a lot obviously then you got a brother older or younger that have interest you I got an older brother Oh, so you were the one getting battered by the ball, stuck in goal and getting shots blasted at you and stuff. Yeah, I've got a memory. I remember, I think it was the 1987 FA Cup final where Tottenham played Coventry. And we were playing outside in the garden. And my, I think my dad and my brother were doing heady-ups together. And then when I did, kept doing it, it kept messing up. And they were, I remember running back inside, crying to my mum, saying that they were being horrible to me, saying I weren't as good as them. <laughs> Funny, these things can uh, can often toughen you up, can't it, to, to work yeah. out that yeah, it does you a favour in the end, but doesn't feel like it at the time. You obviously loved the game and played from a young age. What time, or what stage did it kind of go from being recreational, just like maybe of a grassroots club, I assume, at some point, and then get picked up into that academy system? Yeah, so I started playing organised football when I was a kid. It started at under nine. So I went and played for a team called Melbourne Tigers as an under nine. And back then we were straight on as eight, nine-year-olds onto an 11-a-side pitch with full-size goals. And at the time, the main attribute I had, I was an incredibly fast young boy. So I used to play as a striker. My teammates used to kick the ball as hard as they could over the top of the defence. I'd chase after it and sort of tap it past the goalkeeper and score. And I had an incredible amount of success as a young player by scoring loads of goals. And I think that's another reason that really gave me the confidence and sort of that hunger to, to want to improve because of that early success I had. And then I would have started playing for the representative teams. There was a team called East Anglia Boys that took all the gifted players from around the area. And we used to go on tours. We used to go to Denmark, Holland even out to America. So I had incredible experiences as a young boy of playing in different countries, playing in different tournaments. And then I pro- my first involvement with a professional club where I signed for the School of Excellence would have been at Arsenal as an under-13 player. I went and played there where I would have just... I went to Highbury on an evening during the week where there was an indoor area at the back of one of the stands. And then I played for Arsenal 
on a Sunday at London Colney against another professional team. So that was my first real involvement with a professional football club. And I was a, such a, a quiet, shy, timid little lad who didn't like going to play with other people. I, I didn't really like it that much. I used to make up excuses sometimes that I couldn't go because it was such a long way to, to get to Highbury. So it weren't something I, a fantastic football club, don't get me wrong, but something that I weren't really comfortable with at the time. Was that maybe because you weren't prepared for it psychologically? It just was a too big a mental hurdle more than anything else, not a physical thing or a technical thing, just actually just the, the psychological pressure of going to somewhere far away and being with different people and stuff. Was yeah, definitely. I, when I was there, I was well, I, as good as the other players, one of the yeah. better players, but it was just a case, I was just so much more comfortable playing with my mates. That's all I'd yeah. done till then. I enjoyed that so much more and it just seemed like a bit of a hassle going all the way to... <laughs> The hybrid to train. I didn't. I was. I was one of them that. I was like playground player. All I wanted was to play games. I just wanted to. I weren't interested in training really. I just wanted no. to play in the matches <laughs> and get the ball and sort of have my own ball to myself and just keep it to myself for as long as possible. Yeah. Um, so were you doing a lot of travelling then, Luke? I mean, was this like in the family car? Because obviously Cambridge, London is not round the corner. It's not a million miles away, but it's still a fair old distance. Would you be commuting down to London then to go to London currently to train or you weren't, you weren't living down in London? No, no. So I lived in I lived in a village in the south of Cambridge. So sometimes I'd get the train to Finsbury Park and then it was like a small walk to Highbury or my mum would take me or my dad would take me. You know, they used to, used to get expenses. So I think I used to get about... I used to sign a little form and every time I went there, I got six pound to pay for the petrol. So I used to tell all my mates at school that I was getting paid big money to play for Arsenal at the time. And what happened from there then? So you were at Arsenal at the School, at the school of Excellence. What happened from there? Did you get seen by someone else and move on? Yeah, so then sort of we at that similar sort of time that I was playing for Arsenal on a Saturday, I'd play for my school's team. So it'd be Cambridge schools where the... the the most gifted boys from all the schools around Cambridge had come together to form Cambridge schools where you'd play the same different areas. And that was quite a big competitive football back then. And I was scoring a lot of goals. And that was off the back of that, where I got a scout come and watch me play from Manchester United. And I was invited up to Manchester United to trial and go up there for a week and have a, spend a week at the club training and sort of playing games there. That must have been quite nerve-wracking, or were you the kind of kid that actually you were comfortable in your own ability just playing and you were okay with that, or, or was it was it a bit of a nerve-wracking experience? Yeah, it was, it's definitely nerve-wracking. I remember I was put on the train to go up there and I was going to be collected at Manchester Piccadilly by the minibus or whatever. And it was, although at Arsenal I was always sort of not that keen on going, although I had them same nerves and trepidations about going up to Manchester because it was... Manchester United, who were obviously the team at the moment at the time, yeah. it was a huge club. I couldn't, it was a mixture of nerves and excitement. And when I got up there, it was incredible, really, in terms of the environment, how you were made to feel. It just, it just seemed incredible. I've never experienced anything like it in my life. The second I got off the train and onto the minibus, I felt so welcome. And I just, it just felt incredible to be part of that club it was the most amazing experience and even though I was a quiet shy lad I was made to feel at home straight away and sort of comfortable there and from the second that I got there I knew that this was the place 
I wanted to be because yeah. because of how it made you feel. And how did the trial go then? Yeah, so the, there was probably about, we stayed in a hotel in Manchester called the Castlefield Hotel. There was probably about 14, 15 other schoolboys like me was brought from all over the country, all over Britain, really. They were from Wales, Ireland, Scotland, and we'd go and train with each other, with the other, like the local boys. And it was, it was incredible, really. I'd done well. I played a game on the last day against Nottingham Forest, then got taken back to the train station hours and hours to get home to the little village station where I lived. My mum picked me up from the station and told me that Sir Alex Ferguson had phoned her up and asked if I could sign for the club as a schoolboy. Oh. So to hear, I thought she was mucking about to start with, but to hear that, obviously, yeah. I loved the week so much that there was no one else I was going to sign for once yeah. she told me that information. And did you know you were done well then? I mean, it must be quite hard. Or did you have just a cracking week where you thought, you know, I think I've got this. I think I'm going to be all right. I'm not, I don't know. I don't really remember sort of feeling like, I just remember having such a fantastic time. And I think usually when you That's come home time. and you've enjoyed something, you tend to have done well at something when you've had that much yeah. fun doing it. So I don't really remember thinking that, but obviously I've done well enough to, to be offered a, a schoolboy form at the club, which obviously was incredible from that moment on because I lived so far away it'd just be a case of I'd travel up there on a weekend and play on a be on the bench for the A or the B team on the Saturday then play for my age group on the Sunday then go home and then every school holiday I'd go and spend time up there but it was I was always looking forward to it where maybe in the past at Arsenal I didn't have that same feeling about it. How old were you then Luke? So I would have been 14 just got turning 15 at the time so back then, the, the expectation wasn't to be up there all week then. You would literally go up for the weekends and come back and then just score holidays. Yeah, it was good, like completely different back then in terms of how it was. Like The school's football was probably considered the more important football yeah. at the time. There weren't the same training that the, the academy lads get in today. But it was, it was more games, which, like I say, that was what I loved yeah. doing. So we playing yeah. Saturday, Sunday every week. So it was a, it was a great time for me. And did you play in positions? Would, would they play you like as a front player? or Because obviously you, you're known as a midfield player, but if you're up front banging in goals back then, did, you, did that something that changed as your career went on or were you just playing anywhere when you were 14, 15? I don't think there was as much of it back then in terms of the youth football where you'd sort of switch positions a lot. I'd, I'd be a striker. I didn't I'd end up moving as a to a wide man when I moved up there full time as a scholar because there was four strikers and it just seemed to suit my game better but as a schoolboy coming through I used to when I played I'd be the centre forward all the time really. So obviously you, you, you kicked on a treat and you actually ended up playing in the first team. How do you go from 14 to suddenly finding yourself in playing at the highest level? Yeah so obviously moved up the day after I finished school I moved up as a 16 year old to go and live in Manchester full time in digs and then started my journey as a as a full-time footballer, really worked incredibly hard. Them two years, done well as a scholar, really, to forge a reputation and sign a professional contract. Then, after signing my contract, I went home after my second year for the summer, and probably then thought I was Billy Big Time, and I'd cool. made it already because I'd signed a professional contract, and probably didn't look after myself or do the the work that is expected of you away from the club and come back not in the best shape I could have been in and not in the best form I could have been in and was probably a long, long way from the first team squad when I was probably expected to be closer at that time. 
So it was thought that I'd be sent on loan to Antwerp out in Belgium to sort of experience more first-team football and see how I came on from there, really, see how I developed. So I went out to Belgium and had an absolutely amazing time, both in terms of on a football pitch and a lot of like a life. Did you have someone with you to go out with, Luke? Because was that something on your own, or did you did they put a couple of you out there just to have some company? So I was went out there. There was two already out there. Two lads were my mates from the youth team, anyway. So we were sort that of helps. yeah. I was or, living or, in yeah, a hotel, not. so both <laughs> on and off the pitch, it was a steep learning curve. Of yeah. obviously, is a lively city where you couldn't be going out all the time and sort of doing the wrong things and you had a responsibility to perform on the weekend first team football real passionate fans where there'd be the smoke bomb typical european sort of atmosphere and just absolutely loved it that first experience of being a regular first team player was incredible and i think from that it just sort of gives you the hunger to want more and more so i was called back from antwerp and i was absolutely gutted to be called back because I, I assumed I'd just be going back into to the reserves at Manchester United and I was happy in Belgium. I was scoring goals, playing well. So when I went back, it, I was quite surprised to be thrown straight into the first team squad. And from there, really, I, I say, stayed in the squad and sort of that season, the 2000, 2001 season, played a fair few games coming off the bench quite a lot and being involved in the squad week in, week out, which of course was an incredible experience, quite daunting as well from going to playing in the Belgian league to be training day in, day out with some of the best players in the world. It was always a battle to just sort of fight and strive and stay with the group and sort of every day was was intense and hard, but it was um, a real good learning opportunity to see what this is, what it takes to be a top, top footballer. It's, it must be quite a fine margins, I imagine, Luke, between like that situation you've explained there where you've kind of gone out on loan, not so fit, get yourself fit and then do well and get back again. But it must be just small margins between the players that actually do that and, and take those moments and embrace those opportunities and kick on and those that don't. I mean, there must be loads that don't do that and kind of go the other way. Do you feel like you were kind of always on that cusp where it could go either way? Yeah, like I never thought I was going to be a regular alive Giggs and Beckham were playing in my position. I never thought I'm going to take their places. At the same time, like these players stay at that level for years on end for a reason because they're so dedicated to their craft and they do everything possible to stay there, all them little bits and pieces. I think I was probably a little naive to that in the fact that I just love playing football. So all I'd want to do is go and train and that'd be it for me. I didn't fancy going yeah. in the gym and lifting all them every weights like the rest of them prehab. So probably in that respect, I wasn't, don't get, I was dedicated to my football because I loved it, but probably didn't do enough of the other stuff the to, stuff. Yeah. yeah, to be, to be around it for a, for a long period of time, really. How did it differ compared to playing top flight football in Belgium to playing in the Premier League? I mean, is it poles apart or, or were you able to adapt quite quickly from that to, to playing at Old Trafford and for Man United? Yeah, I think the adaption was quite quite quickly to do that. I think where it's different is at Manchester United, every single day is so hard in terms of the training, is so intense, so competitive, where at Antwerp you could afford to be off it a couple of days and you'd get away with it because you're going to be in the team anyway. At Man United, it weren't like that at all. It was every day 
the training was probably harder than the games on the Saturday because it was that intense and it was the best players in the league playing together. And honestly, when it comes to Saturday, the game seems to be quite straightforward because yeah, the week was so hard leading up to it. That's how it should be, right? You do the preparation and the game shouldn't be such a challenge in theory. I've got to ask, and obviously playing managed by Fergie, how was that experience? Something special, I'd imagine. Oh, incredible. Like the, the, the man's a genius, one of the most incredible people I've ever met. Like I alluded to earlier, he phoned my mum as a 14-year-old boy to ask if I'd sign, but it wouldn't just be me to do that for, he'd do it for everyone. The way that he treated people, the relationships he built with everyone at the football club, whether that be Roy Keane, Ryan Giggs, or the kit man or the dinner ladies, he'd, he'd have every single person at that football club wanting to do well and wanting to do extra for him because there was no better feeling than the great man giving you praise. People ask about the hairdryer treatment and obviously when he has a go at you, it's scary, but the worse than that, it's the feeling of letting him down. The one person you didn't want to let down at the club was the manager because he led it from the top to the very bottom. He had a, a hand in everything. I was at the club as a first team player and there'd be under 10, under 11 academy players in the canteen at Carrington and the gaffer would know every single one of their names. He'd know where every single one of them was from. That small little details that mean so much to people, he'd go to that detail because he knew that he could develop people to do well for him. And that mm. was the genius of the man and why the club had such, such incredible success in his tenure in charge. It's quite a powerful motivator, isn't it? You know, kind of that almost subconscious pressure on yourself to want to do well for the right reasons, not for financial ones or anything else, but actually that more intrinsic stuff that actually then has a bigger impact probably in how you train and how you play. Yeah, without a doubt. And I think it's that intrinsic motivation that keeps you doing something. I think there's only that intrinsic stuff can last for so long, but it can't really... To enjoy, you've got to enjoy and love something to be successful at it, I think. And I think that's what he bred throughout the whole football club and a massive love for the club. And I know you said that, you know, mate, you wanted just to play really and more than probably do the training stuff, although I'm sure you did work hard at training too. How was the training at United? I mean, was it heavily structured? You know, what was the experience like when you're doing the training? For you personally, I mean, like, did, did you still enjoy the training process or was it more of a battle to kind of get embraced in that because you wanted to go and play the games? No, that was what training was at Manchester United for the majority of the time. It was possession and games. It was, we had the best players. So if we trained hard doing that sort of thing, we'd win. It weren't as much as a tactical battle back then. Most teams in the Premier League would play 4 4 2. It'd be quite similar games and it was a team with the best players would win the game and United more or less always had the best players so they tend to win the games I think as that Steve McLaren was in charge and the sessions were everyone used to buzz off it every day because you do possession fun games little matches that sort of thing and that was that was training I think as time moved on a little bit and United were getting further and further away in terms of winning another Champions League after the success against Bayern Munich in Barcelona Teams were changing, particularly in Europe, where the midfield area would be flooded a little bit more and United couldn't control the tempo of a game anymore because they'd be overrunning midfield by extra bodies in there. And I think that's when Sir Alex noticed that things probably had to change a little bit and he brought Carlos Quiros in and he was more of a tactical sort of coach where more emphasis would be on the team shape 
and how we're going to play, which didn't have necessarily be done before because everyone knew it'd be a 4-4-2 because that's the way that the club played and the way the majority of teams in the country and Europe played. It does feel like with Fergie, one of, amongst many things, one of his geniuses was actually who he put in as his number two. And he seemed to pick the right number twos for the right period of time. So, have, you know, having the right type of number two that would be able to support the, the, the youth players that he had or the way the football was developing and changing. So he, he had the right second man almost alongside him to adapt how United would change over those times. Because to reinvent a team, I don't know what, four or five times over his career, at least I would say, is quite a, an impressive thing to be able to do. And I think it seems from the outside looking, a lot of that was who he had second in charge there supporting that process. Yeah, I think he always sort of moved with the times in terms of looking to get real forward-thinking coaches into the club. Well, I think he, he absolutely, I think Carlos Quiros was, he loved Carlos Quiros. But like me as a player, I weren't as keen on Carlos Quiros because it was completely different to anything I've experienced before. we would called people by their second names. It was a lot more structured. It weren't, didn't seem as fun, but he was an incredible forward-thinking coach who I think, brought the club on in many ways, him being there. And am I allowed to ask, maybe, I don't know if you can answer this or not, maybe it's not appropriate for the show, but was there an initiation at United? Did you have to do anything before you played for them? There were, as, a, um, as a scholar, when you go in as a scholar, there was an initiation period called Fun and Games, right. where you'd be sort of asked to do different things in front of, like everyone would be there, apart from the staff, the first team players. I won't go into too much detail, but... Yeah. It was a real, obviously, for a 16-year-old lads that were there, it was a real nerve-wracking experience. I was even, I was dreading it that much before I moved up there. I was even thinking of not signing for the club because I didn't want to do it. But it's, it's the sort of thing that used to happen in many clubs. It, to be honest with you, after you've done it, you do feel such a relief and you do feel part of it. But yeah. these sort of things don't go on anymore, which is probably... Probably <laughs> for the best. Yeah, yeah, yeah but it's, it was one of them things that did sort of initiate you into the, the family of Manchester United, really. Yeah, brilliant. Well, last question about United, if that's okay, and that part of your, your journey. Really, you obviously you scored a couple of goals for United. I mean, that must have been an amazing feeling. Oh, yeah, incredible to score for the club. I remember, obviously, my first goal against Bradford and David Beckham sent me through, but it's probably the, the other one against Leeds that I'll be most people would remember me for because it was such a big game and I remember Ollie having a shot at Nigel Martin a real weak shot really and I just followed it in not really thinking Nigel Martin would drop it because he was a fantastic keeper but somehow he's spilt it right at my feet I'm about three yards away from goal not even I could have missed that one and I just <laughs> remember me I was just lighting up and that feel that's such a euphoric feeling of scoring in such a big game for the club that was definitely the my best moment at at Manchester United, that's for sure. Yeah, wow, what a feeling. Brilliant, thanks for that, man. It's nice to look back and reflect back and, and well done for, you know, for, I, I guess, for being one of those players that just loved the game, wanted to play and, and then proving actually you can get to the highest level with a good attitude and just a smile on your face and, and work hard. So, so well done, it's, it's a great story. I think for us, if you don't mind, we're keen to look at um, like the coaching side of things. I'm particularly on youth coaching and you're obviously still heavily involved in that now with what you're doing with the uh, the fun football factory stuff and things which we'll talk about in a, in a bit if that's okay but I just just as a general reflection um from from looking back at your time going through your, your football journey when you were younger and particularly your school days 
how do you see it different now? You've got two young boys as well. How has it changed, do you think? And I guess what, what kind of worked back then and what works now? Yeah, I think it's definitely improved in terms of the whole process now is developing people. It's not around, it's not all about football. Back in my day, it was just sort of that command style where you've got to do this and you'd sort of accept that and go and do that. I think now it is a lot more sort of different styles of coaching. The children are given a lot more ownership. There's more question and answer and that sort of thing, which obviously develops the children in a more rounded way. It's not just that sort of army style of go and do this. And if you don't do it, you're going to get shouted at, which obviously that was the way it was done back then. And there were some amazing, amazing coaches back then, both in full-time adult football and youth coaches as well. But I think now it is a lot more child-friendly, child child-centred, which is obviously a good thing. You're coaching with the Fine Football Factory. You're part of that and you, you get involved in those sessions. How much of that is tailored towards the technical side of the football and how much of it is towards like, the life skill stuff? Do you, do you blending it together there? Is that the idea? Yeah, it's more heavily stacked towards the life skills sort of area. It's not a football fun factory, is, as the name suggests. It is, it's about kids having fun playing football. It's not us developing kids to go and play in a professional academy. It's purely developing a love for the game of something that children want to go and do for years and years afterwards and carry on playing as adults because they enjoy doing it, not because they're going to come a professional footballer because they're doing it and using that football as a vehicle to develop real strong, positive life skills like teamwork, sportsmanship, communication. So it's, it's more heavily back towards that. Obviously, if you're playing football, you're going to improve doing it and we've put on sessions that's going to develop, but the, the be all and end all is fun. To be fair, even with the players that maybe aren't looking at becoming elite, if you want, or playing professionally and making it a career for them, to, lo- to love the game, but also use it as a vehicle to develop those other life skills stuff, whether that's communication, leadership skills, teamwork or empathy, all those important things. It, it's such a powerful vehicle, football, for doing that, isn't it? It's such a great way in which you can give people the confidence to work, work on those other attributes, that whatever they do in life, it will help them probably be, to be more successful if they can you know, get more practicing experience around those things. Do, do you find players embrace that and get that? And, and do you see the benefits out, out of them going through that process? Yeah, I think we definitely see huge benefits from doing it that way. We, every session we, we do, at the end of each session, all the children know we hand out a blue card and the, the blue card's handed out at the end of the session for the child that shows the most outstanding human qualities rather than the child that scores the most goals or shows the most skills in the game so I think that sort of gets our engagement straight away where they're trying to to work on these skills where it's obviously a bit of a trick because they want to win the blue card but at the same time they're all developing by practicing these skills that are going to allow them to to be awarded the blue card by showing outstanding human qualities. And if you shine a lot on the process rather than the outcomes, it's much, well, a, a, it's more fair in the sense that any player can win that, right? If you're going to just be the hardest working player or, or apply yourself to the challenge, you've got a chance to win. It doesn't matter how good you are at doing it. Um, but it also, you, you see the, pro, the outcomes come, don't they, anyway with time? So you get the development anyway, but you're not shining the light on that from the outset. 
And I think when you said at the beginning about confidence being so important, once you focus more on the psychological and social side of things, that can really help build that confidence rather than focus on the technique and the physical side from day one. Because if a player hasn't got that technical ability straight away or isn't physically as big as another player, to get that confidence to be successful is going to be much harder for them. Where actually, if you sign a lot on the other stuff first, then they've got more of a chance of, of, of kicking on and you see maybe they're reaching their full potential. Yeah, and it is all that matters is a process. There's no real destination, is there? Because we never. We never get there. It's all a process. Life is a process we keep going through. So it's, we have to treat every child as an individual. Every child has got their own journey that they're going on. So it's our responsibility as a coach and our skill as a coach to manage that difference and make sure whether it's an unbelievable player who's playing in a session or someone who's just doing their first football session, they get as much out of it as each other. And that's that's our skill as a coach to be able to recognise these things and, and deal with that and make sure that everyone's having a fantastic time and everyone's leaving football with a big smile on their face and they can't wait to come back to the next session. Well, that's how I feel, Luke, isn't it? I mean, you do, you get more out of the players. Well, if they're enjoying it and they're having fun, they apply themselves a bit harder and they train a bit harder and you get other things anyway. You said for yourself, like the more you enjoy it, the kind of the better you are at it performing aren't you and if it's not fun then you don't give it your best anyway do you so it doesn't work if it's not fun really especially for kids yeah I think for anyone I think whatever you're doing I think if if you're doing a job and you enjoy doing it you're going to do it better if you're just going to work to get paid you probably won't enjoy doing it that much I think it's so important to try I know people aren't everyone's not lucky enough to do it but to find something you like what do they say if you're if you love doing what you're doing, you're not, you'll never work a day in your life, really. So it's like to find that is a gift. And I think it's so prevalent in everything, particularly young people. If, if they enjoy doing something, whether it's maths, English, playing football, they're going to do it better if what they perceive it as fun, what they're doing. Do you have much involvement or any observations over the current grassroots football space in, in England? Do you see much of it? Have you you're around it much? Yeah, quite a lot, really. We have a lot of the kids that come to our sessions are in grassroots teams as well. We spend a lot of time with grassroots coaches. We put events on for grassroots coaches. So there's, there's loads of fantastic work going on. And the people that give up so much in terms of that we're doing it the same way. Everyone's doing it for the right reasons, really. And that goes throughout all football, from grassroots to professional footing. If, if everyone's doing it in a positive manner, then the kids are going to have a great time. I think there is incredible good practice going on, but at the same time, there's some practice that probably needs to be improved, that I think would be improved if, if the education was there, really. It's not from a lack of wanting to do well, I think, sometimes from a grassroots perspective. I think sometimes we just don't always know how to do the right thing the right way you know and you go with your best intentions and a lot of the grassroots coaches are just parents that have stepped up as volunteers and part part of doing the podcast was you almost have to make the mistakes first before you kind of learn what you need to do and in some cases that's almost too late because if the kids are going for that journey with you and your mistakes end up being kind of their mistakes as well in many ways and I guess for grassroots coaches it's just trying to almost be ahead of the curve. So if you can pick up your advice and guidance before you need it, then hopefully you can bring that into your practices before you make all the you know, mistakes that certainly I've made over the years. 
And I just wondered if you had any tips for grassroots coaches out there um, that were working with players, you know, especially the younger ones. You know, what, what, what advice or guidance might you give them with regards to how they might manage their practices or ma- manage their teams or their parents? Yeah, I think like, the mess, the, all that matters really is that the children are enjoying what they're doing. They're there to, they're all there for different reasons. Some of them probably don't even like football that much, but their mates playing, so they want to be there. So it's, it's important that we know our players really well. And like we said before, sort of managing the difference, manage, understanding what makes them, them tick and sort of getting the most out of everyone so they're enjoying it, not getting the most out of everyone in a football sense, but in a social sense particularly, making sure that everyone's enjoying what they're doing. I think, I mean, I I started coaching my little lads team or helping out when I was, when he was an under six, and I was useless. Like, I know I was so far out of my comfort zone, didn't have a clue what I was doing. I used to be have a go at him because I was a professional footballer at the time. I'd have a go at him because I was talking to him like I was spoke to on a Saturday afternoon as a professional because I had no education. I didn't have a a clue what I was doing. Fortunately, I sort of learned about it. I learned about myself knowing what I'm doing is completely wrong, really. I think we can be a bit guilty. We can over plan sessions so much. I used to do it all the time. I see coaches do it all the time where we've got our clipboard there and we want to, we've got a certain time scale to everything. That's 10 minutes there, stop that going to this. And where you don't need to do that. Like if the kids are enjoying it, let them carry on what they're doing. I think it's, we sort of may be guilty where we want to get out what we're saying for us more than the children thinking it's going to help them learn where at the end of the day, without being, I mean, I've coached at professional clubs where the kids ain't taking that much notice of me anyway. They're just there because they want to play football. That's what, they want to do so I think that's what as much as possible that's what we should let them do I don't think there's any need to save it till the end till we have the match at the end because that's mm. all they're waiting for so why don't have a game at the start because that's what they want to do is we're yeah. doing it for them we're not doing it for us and I think that's where we can get caught up and I've been caught up many a time with me sheet god these are the coaching points I want to get out I need to get these out where it might go off what we want to work on sometimes but but who cares because yeah. the children are enjoying playing football. It's that overcoaching, isn't it? It's that wanting to help and give all the information out. But actually, you know what? Let them learn themselves a little bit. Create the environment. Be positive. Put a ball in there. You can manipulate things to work on stuff. But yeah, the, the overcoaching and just because you want to give the best to the kids, don't you? But actually, sometimes the best is actually saying less and just letting them explore themselves a little bit and find solutions to problems in their own time, in their own way. Yeah, and it, it always comes from a good place because you want to give them all this information, give them all this information. But I remember, I think back to when I was a child and you just don't listen. <laughs> <You're> not, <laughs> they don't listen. And a lot of the time they're not listening and just, they just want to run about. So let yeah. them run about. Don't be having cues on the pig as much as possible. Get them charging about and burning off all that energy because that's why, that's why they're playing football for. Yeah. And what about then compared to academies then, Luke? I mean, how how did you see that different, you know, for the experience that you've been in the academy system and seen it? You know, should they have a different approach to grassroots and, or, or not? Or, or how does it look and what do you think they do well in academies? And maybe what could we do different in the academy football in this country? Um, to, to be honest, to be completely honest, I think the, the academies start too early. I think the kids go in too young and they I think they'd get too much football too early and 
no disrespect to any clubs, they all have to do it because that's what the next club, they're all so scared of losing out on the next big thing. So I think the academy shouldn't, academy's grassroots for them youngest ages, I don't think they should be any different whatsoever. It should be, again, festering that love of football. That's what's going to keep the children involved in it. So it's got to be everything they do, they should be enjoyed doing. I think as they get older, academies you are working with, children that are more gifted at the time at that age they might not be in five year time but at the time they're perceived as being better footballers I think my both my children play in academies so this is might sound sort of quite contradictory is that oh when I worked in it I just didn't see enough smiles really I didn't it was where you speak about it has to be about the process I think too often it's it's about the destination it's they're there to become a professional footballer and I think if that's your mindset, you can lose a little bit of enjoyment for the game and it feels like something you've got to do to become that professional footballer. So for me, it's all about loving it. Like that's a, the be-all and end-all. If, if you want to be a professional footballer, you ain't going to stay in the game for long unless you love what you're doing because it's not always a nice industry to be in, but you can get through it because I love it. I'm still the same person that was kicking the ball around at break time with my mates on the on the tennis court at school. That's what it's, it needs to be like. It's always got to go back to that. So whatever level you're playing at, I think the enjoyment is, and that's why I'm so sort of passionate about what we're trying to grow at the Football Fun Factory, because it is purely about the enjoyment where them little coaching points sort of go out the window because the smile's more important than the tucking in when the wide man's on the other side of the pitch yeah. to make sure you're compact out of possession, that sort of thing. And it is, don't get me wrong, that is important if you want to go through the academy. But I don't remember that many coaching points as a footballer. But I remember how I was treated by my coaches as a person. So I think that is the most important thing for anyone. It's, it's a person first and the football, footballer second or the development of the young person second. Yeah, makes sense. Well, come on, look, if you don't mind, we've mentioned it a few times without actually going into detail. Um, could you tell us a bit more about the Football Fun Factory? Where, where it started from, your involvement, and kind of what its, I guess, mission is? Yeah, so the Football Fun Factory is an organisation that was put together by a couple of my ex-colleagues that I worked in at Cambridge United with within the academy. And I, when I finished playing football, I really struggled, like a lot of footballers do, like sort of that loss of, a real identity. What do I do now? I've been known as a footballer since probably the age of eight or nine. And now where do I fit in this world really? And I fell down the car. I never saw myself as a football coach. I sort of just went through the qualifications because as a means to an end, because as a footballer, a lot of the time you think the only thing you can do now is try and stay in football to get a job really. So I went down that route, managed to get a job at Cambridge United where I spoke about academies there, don't get me wrong, there's some wonderful work going on there and coach some fantastic young players. But I didn't really, I knew it weren't, I'd get up every morning and it weren't for me really. I just thought, I don't really love what I'm doing. It's it's so far away from being a professional footballer. It's always going to be tough to, to find something close to that, but you want to get as close to it as possible. So they told me about the Football Fun Factory and it just struck a chord with me in terms of making football fun. All it is is enjoyment and a development tool to become a better person. So I, I came on board, 
it's um I run my own sort of franchise of it now in in the area where I live which is where I grew up it's where I went to school it's where my kids went to school so it's giving something back to my community really that sort of gave me the love for football when I grew up so it's it's just a a real rewarding role and now we're trying to grow it into a, a nationwide a world our ambitions to be the the leading coaching organization in the world really and I don't think there's there's that many people that do what we do in terms of it's not a development tool it's not we're not developing footballers but we're trying to develop people and we're trying to create this love of this wonderful game that we do we do all love so much so we're just involved in trying to grow that and in five years time be football fun factories all over the UK and all over the world that's the the big ambition and that's what gives me a real buzz like it is quite similar to to be in that footballer from all those years ago, but off, potentially offering something more important than I offered as a as a footballer to really help and engage children from from all walks of life, really. Well, I, I guess it, it's a win-win because for, for the kids that get taken up in it, whatever happens, they're going to develop as human beings, right, in, in a good way. So that's that's done. You know, if their football keeps on, it goes where it goes, but that's a bonus to some extent. But you, you, you can't lose by being part of that process, right? You're going to develop skills that you wouldn't necessarily develop otherwise, or at least you're going to develop them quicker and maybe to a higher level by being part of being part of that. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's, it's, it's a, such a rewarding role. I mean, I was taking coaching the... 16s 18s or whatever at Cambridge and again it was great but I'd walk off the training field and wonder think what am I really giving that much are they taking that much from me to really help them and then a couple of months later I'm in the village all near where I live with kids that are two to four years old I've got them all completely out of my comfort zone they're all sat around I'm telling them what to do I've got cones set up I say go on then off you go and they're, they're not listening to a word I've said they're throwing cones about their booting footballs uh, but at the same time they've got massive smiles on their face and they're going home after the, the session they're saying to mummy or daddy I can't wait for football next week and that is I'm not offering much as a football coach but I'm helping develop that love of think- football that they might have for a lifetime there's no more rewarding feeling than that I think we all remember our first football coach I certainly do when I first started playing and it's it's a real um, reward, not reward, a rewarding position to be in. Yeah, definitely. to have that effect on people at such a young age. I think chaos is very much underrated in the soccer coaching practices. I think the, the more chaotic you are, in some ways, the better. The parents might not get it, but actually, as a coach, I think football's chaotic, isn't it? Life's chaotic. So if you can manage in those situations, and you, you know, not, it's not a bad skill set to have. Yeah, and I think it's important that you mentioned the parents there. It's, it's important that. The parents are obviously you as a coach, whatever you're always worried that they're judging you, what they're thinking about me, but that should be the last thing really because it is about the kids and sometimes it is gonna look messy, it's gonna look an absolute nightmare sometimes. Yeah. And it's not gonna work, but that's what we have to do because we're we're football coach and we need to fix it and make sure the kids are enjoying what they're doing. Yeah. So um, obviously lockdown might have impacted on your sessions. Are, are you back up and running yet? Or is that still something you're looking at or, or, or are they going on at the moment? No, so we're still, our sessions are still suspended at the moment. So we're just waiting for clearance from the government. We Obviously there is the opportunity to run uh, the for sessions with five kids social distancing. But I think, well, what we're all about is bringing that community together. We want loads of kids running around sort of having fun and enjoying it rather than sort of, just having it for a few players. So we're hoping for more 
guidance to come out soon where we can get the, the yeah. sessions up and running again. I bet you're missing it, aren't you? Oh, without a doubt, without a shadow of a doubt. It'd be great to get back out there, but at the same time, it has to be safe. Right. Safety is paramount. And yeah, well, fingers crossed it won't be too long, Luke, and you'll be out there and see these kids running around. What age group is it you've got then, or how broad is the age band? So at the moment, the ages are we've run sessions from children to two to 12 years old. And is that one, one session a week kind of thing? They'll come along and play one, one Saturday morning or Sunday or something, is it? Yeah, so we usually, most coaches have sort of free venues. So we'll run free weekly sessions for different children in the different villages or areas where we live, where the, the kids live and the coaches live. And then there'll be a tot session for the two to four, four or five-year-olds on a Saturday morning. It sounds like a great project, Luke. It sounds brilliant. And we're around grassroots football and academy football and stuff. And I think nearly every coach I meet has got best intentions and every environment has the best intentions. But it can often feel quite adult, even for the younger age groups. And it can often feel quite serious. And even as parents, especially if your kid gets in that academy system, it's quite it's hard to kind of not feel the pressure. And then that, that gets put on the kid. So I think any space in which, hey, look, we can just say football can just be fun and it can have that life skill thrown into it. it must be a wonderful environment and I'm sure it will be successful and I'm looking forward to the domination in the next five years and, and seeing it all over the place. I like the branding already. It stands out in the blue and the yellow. But whatever, you can't argue with the principles and the philosophy and, you know, I'd happily have my kids involved in that environment. I'll be part of it because it just sounds like a, a combining football and life skills, you know, it's, it's a no-lose, isn't it? Oh yeah, definitely. It is a it is a great concept, and hopefully, we'll have like I say, we'll have the centres all over. And if anyone's interested in it, any like-minded people that feel like they want to be part of it, and we're always on the lookout for for great people, please feel free to get in touch with me. All right, brilliant, Luke. We'll do contact details at the end, but well, I'm sure you'll get some back from this 100. Um, percent We do ask all our guests just this one question: If you were king for the day and you could change one thing about football in this country. We often focus it around youth coaching, but you can have a more open perspective if you want to see the fact you've played it and, you know, and the different coaching roles that you've had and stuff. But if you could change one thing in football in this country, what would it be? Oh, that is a tough one. Isn't I think I'd say in terms of that elite side of it, that academy, I wouldn't have that start until under 14, I don't think. I'd have the kids just playing with their friends, playing in teams, close to where they live there's no traveling involved and it's just sort of it is seen as a fun thing up until then and then the most gifted children go into that system if if that's what they choose to do because I think the dropout rate is so huge in terms of the players that come through and actually make it at the top end of the game I think it just take a lot of a lot of children away from that and they're just enjoying having fun playing with their mates so I remember that was when I loved playing football as an under nine, 10, 11 in them local grassroots teams. I just, I think that's how, that's the one thing I'd change, I think. Do you see it happening, Luke? Do you see the age going back the other way? I know he spent many years going long, younger and younger and younger, but I think in Germany, is it Bayern Munich? One of the teams over there, they, their academy now is going, I think, to under nines. They pushed it back a couple of years. So maybe even under 11s, I can't remember. They've started pushing, they're not taking the under sevens anymore. They're pushing back a little bit. Do you think it would happen? Not tomorrow, but could you see it shifting back the other way? I can't see it happening in the near future. I think, I think Bayern Munich can do that because regardless of who the child is and they're at another club, yeah, as their side, they can come and just take them away. Yeah. You know, obviously only work 
if everyone does it because otherwise the ones that aren't are just take all the players really so it, I don't see it in the near future but but who knows who knows what could happen I, I kind of feel as a grassroots dad I kind of feel like part of it and I understand this has always been the fact academies couldn't necessarily dr- trust the coaches the, the weekend coaches if you like and, and I kind of get that to give a quality session to the players and therefore they feel like I've got to step in and take it out because we want to give them the right information the right training the right practices and I, and I feel like as I've developed as a coach and done the badges and worked through these things I'm more proud of the sessions I put on for the players now I'm more confident that you know they they, they, they do the ownership stuff it's not coach centered it's player centered now and these things and I, I wonder if part of that solution could be you know invest more in us as grassroots coaches and get our level up to a higher level and then the academies can relax a bit more maybe support us and spend those maybe under sevens under eights under nines years working more with the communities and then pick up the players maybe under 10s, under 11s, when they're a little bit more older and you see a bit more about them. And then the parents and the players not have that pressure about getting signed or released, you know, year on year. It feels like that might be a way of going about it, but it would need everyone to kind of commit to that to, to make it work. Yeah, I think something like that is a, like a fantastic idea. I think I like the idea of even like hubs they spoke about, they'd done in Germany years ago before they went and won the World Cup, where yeah. I think... A, a, Something that don't sit easy with me is the distance that a lot of these kids have to travel to go and play in the academies in terms of 45 minutes, 50 minutes in a car, three times a week. I just think it's a little too much for children of nine and 10 years old to have to do that. So I just, the idea of being close to a football centre and just playing within five minutes of your house, I think it, it just makes things so much more enjoyable, so much more fun. When you yeah. don't have, when you're taking that journeys out of the out of the equation, yeah, you could be driving twice as far as you're actually playing, can't you? If it's an hour or so there, an hour or so back, you might be training less than you're actually commuting there and back from. So, yeah, I guess it's just making it more accessible on your doorstep with good quality coaching and and just taking some of the pressure off getting signed early. Well, I'm I'm up for that one. If you can push the the back a little bit, that would work really well. Luke, thank you so much for your time. It's been a real pleasure having someone that's kind of done the journey and walked through it and lived it and it's still a big smile on their face. Um, you know, obviously has a passion for the game still and doing your bit for the game. It's great to talk to you and, and get your thoughts, Luke. What, if people do want to reach out to you, either you personally or um, for the Fun Football Factory as well, what's the best way for them to make contact? Yeah, so we're on Football Fun Factory on all the social media outlets. I don't know the handles I'm useless at all that but to drop my um, email address is luke at the footballfunfactory.co.uk so any questions any more information please feel free to to drop me a line and I'll get back to you as soon as I can and Luke beyond the uh, football fun factory's world domination in the next five years what what what's your what's your plan that's that's the plan at the moment really I've, I've sort of I feel so much more bettering myself stepping away from professional football completely really I've got a new lease of life really this has given me a new vision something to to set my mind to so I've got no I've never really had any plans of becoming a first team manager or anything like that so that was never in the back of my mind and I've never really like I mentioned earlier I never really saw myself as a coach into like as I was going through my career and sort of fell into it so just um what's most important to everyone just being happy really and just enjoying my life that's what that's what's on the agenda for me I reckon we'll, we'll talk to you in five years time you'll be managing Cambridge United I reckon <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
Luke, thank you so much for your time. We're really, really grateful. Best of luck with everything. I'll be watching the work you're doing with the Football Fun Factory and seeing that progress. I know it's going to be a success, but thank you so much for your time, mate. It's been, it's been a privilege having you on the show. Thank you so much. No worries, Scott. Enjoyed speaking to you.